0: Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. Today we're joined by attorneys Maria Abate and Amy Kultnow from the law firm of Kaladni Fast, Tallenfeld, Karlinsky & Abate in Florida, Maria has been with the firm since 1992 and became a shareholder in 2001. Her practice areas include complex insurance litigation, personal injury, and employment law. She has also represented the Florida Department of Insurance. Amy joined the firm in 2005 as a senior litigation associate, practicing in the areas of insurance litigation, employment law, and commercial litigation. We're pleased to have you both with us this morning. Glad to be here. Recently, the Florida Supreme Court overturned an appellate court decision from three years earlier that shifted the burden of paying for non-covered flood damage to homeowner insurance companies. This is considered an important decision for major insurance companies. I'm going to turn it over to Brendan Noonan today for our first question. Maria, can you discuss the relevance of this ruling?
1: My pleasure, Brendan. In Florida Farm Bureau Casualty Insurance Company versus Cox, or the Cox case, the Florida Supreme Court expressly disapproved a 2004 4th District case which had caused much turmoil in the insurance industry. The name of that case was Mearswa v. Florida Windstorm Underwriting Association. Mearswa had held that because of the state's valued policy law, insurance companies were required to pay policy limits when the damage from a covered peril, such as windstorm, combined with a non-covered peril, such as flood, to cause a total or a constructive total loss, even when the damage caused by the non-covered peril alone was minor. Prior to Mearswell, insurance companies had always been required by the value policy law to pay policy limits when a covered peril caused a total loss. But now Mearswell required that policy limits be paid when the damage from the covered peril alone had not resulted in a total loss. As you might guess, the impact to the industry was immediate and huge. Mearswell was decided in the summer of 2004, and it was just days before Florida underwent an abnormally active and destructive hurricane season. As a result of Mirzwa, policyholders whose property had been rendered a total loss, mainly as a result of flooding, made claims for full policy limits under their windstorm policies, even when the wind damage was minor. Now, the wind damage to the home in the Mirzwa case was significantly greater than the flood damage, but still wasn't enough to make the home a total loss by itself. In rendering its decision that required payment of the windstorm policy limits, the 4th District refused to consider the effect of its ruling in cases where wind damage would only be a small fraction of the total damage. They even implied that the insurance companies were exaggerating the situation. The Mayor's panel referred to these hypothetical claims as a quote-unquote parade of horribles. Unfortunately, due to the devastating 2004 hurricane season, the parade of horribles became a a reality. On August 13, 2004, Hurricane Charlie hit the state, causing an estimated $6.75 billion in insured damage. A few weeks later, on September 5, 2004, Hurricane Francis damaged 15,000 homes and 2,400 businesses in Palm Beach, with insured damage across the state totaling $4.11 billion. Eleven days after that, on September 16, Hurricane Ivan brought strong waves and a 10- to 15-foot storm surge that severely damaged Interstate 10 and the bridges in Pensacola. The insured damage from Ivan totaled over $4 billion. Then, on September 26, Hurricane Jean hit the southern portion of the state, very near where Francis had struck just three weeks prior. The insured damage throughout the state as a result of Francis was estimated at $3.44 billion. Most of the damage caused by these four storms was a combination of wind and flood damage, with many homes suffering primarily surge damage. In 2004, however, very few coastal homeowners had more than 250000 in flood coverage, which is the maximum policy limits available under the federal Flood Insurance Program, or the NFIP. As a result of the Mearswood decision, the insurance industry in Florida was forced to shoulder the increased market cost for all damage, including damages attributable to flood. Now, the Windstorm insurers had not included the risk of flooding when they calculated their insurance premiums. Yet, the Mearswa decision exposed them to a significant risk. A 2004 study by Applied Insurance Research Worldwide calculated the value of residential and commercial coastal property in Florida at $1.94 trillion, which represented 79% of the state's total insured property values. In response to Mearswa, the insurance industry did two things. First, they were able to have the value policy law amended in 2005 to ensure that they would only be responsible for the prorate a share of the damage caused by the covered peril. Secondly, they aggressively fought the Mearswa decision in court. Vindication finally came three years later in the Cox decision.
0: Now, Amy, how does this ruling potentially impact other
2: states? Well, we need to keep in mind that the Cox case interprets Florida's value policy law as it existed in 2004. After the Law opinion that Maria just spoke about from Florida's 4th District Court of Appeal, The Florida legislature modified the statute in 2005 to remediate its fact and basically clarify the intent and purpose of the law, which, quoting from Justice Wells in the Cox case, was to prevent haggling over the worth of destroyed property not to be used to cover perils that were not insured. The Cox decision is no doubt a win for the insurance industry in that it upholds policy language. However, while the Cox opinion may be persuasive to other jurisdictions that continue to wrestle with the issue of multi-causation losses, it may not necessarily help insurers avoid litigation. For example, in a recent Hurricane Rita case, Lundry versus Citizens' Property Insurance Company, the Louisiana court engaged in a somewhat befuddled discussion about causation. The court appears to muddy the waters, by considering wind and flood to be concurrent perils that combine to render a home a total loss. In fact, the majority of Katrina and Rita cases involved multiple forces, wind and flood, that created separate distinguishable damage that resulted in a single loss. The court analyzed the loss from the standpoint of the efficient proximate cause, which can lead to inconsistent results. It seems as though the the nature and extent of a catastrophe and its implications both to consumers and carriers dictate not only the political response, but the response of the affected parties. In the end, wind versus water will continue to be difficult decisions for adjusters and insurers to evaluate.
0: Amy, can you talk about H.R. 920, recently passed by the House Financial Services Committee and now headed for the House floor?
2: Sure. H.R. 920 is our federal government's attempt basically to take on an expanded role in providing insurance to property owners threatened by hurricanes and other coastal storms. The bill, which is titled the Multiple Peril Insurance Act of 2007, requires the National Flood Insurance Program to provide optional insurance coverage for losses arising from any flood or windstorm. The legislation also raises the limits of coverage currently paid under the NFIP and mandates that actuarially sound rates be charged. Essentially, under the H.R. 920, policyholders already in the flood insurance program would have a chance to buy wind insurance.
0: Now, there are some political factions that are opposing this bill. Now, why is that the case?
2: Well, opponents of the bill argue that the actuarially sound rates that the bill aims to enforce would be extremely expensive or heavily subsidized. And it could result in deeper financial trouble for the National Flood Insurance Program and, of course, increase the risk to the taxpayers. Insurance companies are likewise uneasy about how this could affect business because the additional coverage within the NFIP would be a competitor. A related bill, H.R. 3121, known as the Flood Insurance Reform and Modernization Act of 2007, was introduced to the House of Representatives in late July. And the bill included language taken from H.R. 920 to provide for multi-parallel policies through the NFIP. And that bill just recently passed by the House and will move on to the Senate.
0: Maria, what are your uh, projections here? Will all of this uh, lead to future litigation?
1: Well, I don't think there's any way to avoid future litigation. But the Cox decision and the 2005 amendments will help to avoid litigation in the easy cases. Cases in which the wind damage is minimal or which clearly did not cause a total loss or a constructive total loss by itself. And cases in which the wind damage alone rendered the home a total loss. It's the hard cases which will continue to be litigated, cases in which the wind damage was substantial but did not by itself cause the total loss. The truth of the matter is that hurricane damage typically consists of combination of wind and water. It's often difficult to determine precisely which peril caused what damage, especially in the middle of a dangerous storm. These matters will continue to keep adjusters, engineers, and lawyers very busy for years to come. In fact, just this week, in the case of Citizens v. Manning, the first DCA in Florida, applied the Cox decision and remanded a case in which summary judgment had been previously granted pursuant to Mearswell. Because the parties in the Manning case had not put into the record how much of the damage was caused by wind and how much by water, the case was sent back to the lower court for further proceedings. There's still a good number of cases in the appellate pipeline which will likely have the same results. It's interesting because one of the purported reasons for adding wind coverage to the NFIP policies under H.R. 920 would be to avoid this very type of litigation. The logic is that if the NFIP covers both types of damage, it is irrelevant which peril caused what damage. But short of a wholesale amendment to the NFIP, the question of which came first, the wind or the water, will continue to be the subject of litigation.
0: All right. Well, thank you both for joining us today. That was Maria Bate and Amy Coltnow from the law firm of Colony Fast, Tellenfeld, Karlinsky & Abate in Florida. Thanks as well to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this podcast, go to podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message.